Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Rehab Podiatrist podcast with me, Alex Murray, the Rehab Podiatrist. I'm really excited to have this chat today uh, because it's it's someone who I think epitomizes doing something different in podiatry that uh, has really taken a lot of opportunities to branch out. And I think there's a lot uh, that we can sort of talk about with uh about where people can go with their career and also for someone who is doing something different in podiatry and how that changes uh, the perspective on how we look at patients, athletes, how we look at our treatments, how we look at our, our biomechanical theories. Because I think it, from, from my perspective, you know, I see a lot of uh, people talk about the opportunities in podiatry and what we can do. And what I generally see, and part of this is the marketplace, part of this is, is a, a lack of uh, people out there doing lots of things different and talking about doing things different. But most people go to private practice or they go into public practice and they open similar clinics, do similar treatments, do similar CPD, and nothing wrong with that whatsoever at all, especially if it makes people happy. But at the same time, we see you know lots of people leaving the profession. We see lots of people trying to do something different and trying to forge a career for themselves and, and struggling. So I thought it's really, really good to, to highlight someone who is um, taking, uh, taking risks, taking chances and opportunities to do something different and ask, what is going on like how did you get this and and really push that out to people who might be wondering what else can i do in podiatry what you know can i go work with teams can i go work with athletes can i go do something very very different so i'll introduce introduce him now angelo i won't speak for you i want to I want to hear from yourself uh, a bit about well you, you explain for yourself yourself who you are what you're doing where you are currently sounds good so i'm angelo uh, i'm based in perth in western australia um, so for me, I've been a podiatrist for nine years and I specialise predominantly with kids and with sports injuries. Um, so currently I'm the consultant podiatrist for a Rhythmic Gymnastics Academy. Uh, I consult with Gymnastics WA with a lot of their state team athletes and with um, WA Youth Ballet as well. And then I also consult with one of the waffle teams, the Perth Demons in Perth. Um, so yeah, keep myself busy with a variety of different sports teams, definitely. <laughs> Yeah, so you're you're in private practice. You've yeah, got your own, own clinic. Yeah, that's right. So we opened up at the start of the year. So our clinic started off as a paediatric clinic only. Um, so we dealt predominantly from birth to about four years of age, um, working in a multi-disc practice. But obviously with peds, it can be hard to build a caseload. It was during COVID, so it was just a bit of a mess the last couple of years. So me and the physio sat down and said, well, let's just look at opening up a sports clinic. And so we started up at the start of the year in a new practice and a new premises and a new sort of model as well. So talk, talk to me about how, because like immediately younger podiatrists opening clinics, really heavy specialised focus. A lot of uh, people, the experience a lot of people have is, you know, you've got to do routine care, you've got to do general care or you've got to be you know, doing your time in the trenches, so to speak. Yeah. But you've sort of dived right in. Can you talk about your experience? Like what's what was different in terms of what got you there quite quickly and, and, and working with others? I think the thing for me is that as a young grad, I always had an idea of being able to open up my own practice and and have my own business opportunity. But for me, it was just biding my time and wanting to learn everything there was possibly to do with podiatry first so I can focus purely on being a practitioner. 
and being the best practitioner for patients as well. So, you know, it took a lot of time, a lot of learning, a lot of conferences, a lot of PDs, going out to various people and talking to them, spending time with people, a lot of time, you know, for free, trying to discuss and, and learn. Um, and it was only sort of probably last year I finally felt confident enough to, to go out and open up my own practice while being a practitioner at the same time. Um, but yeah, for me, it was just a matter of, of building up my caseload, building up my confidence, building up my skill set as a podiatrist and just focusing purely on that for the first couple of years or for the first eight years of my career, really. There was something you said at the start, and I've got to start. I got to start writing as we go. That's all right. Yeah, so like you talk about you know giving away your time for free in a way or like being being available, being open to opportunity. Um I guess a different way to look at that is that you're spending your time learning, getting other people's experience, getting yourself experience because you had that goal of opening your own clinic, of having a space that was yours and now you're sort of getting that that payment back or that reward from from that time spent to it previously is like a a different way of looking at you know giving away time for free that's right and i think the biggest thing is a lot of you see a lot of people come out of uni and they you know look for me i was a 20 year old kid i had oh, no partner I had no kids at the time so i was looking at my career and going well why not try and make a big name for myself and try and learn and be the best possible version of a podiatrist i can possibly be i didn't know where my career was going to go in terms of the sports or in terms of the kids or any sort of sort of specialized region but I just wanted to be the best possible podiatrist I could be and so that's why for me I could I had the capacity to go and spend time with different sports teams go and spend time with various physios chiros podiatrists that um, were in an area that I wanted to eventually get to I guess um, but yeah I think the hard part is you see a lot of people come out and they want to do the business side of stuff very early and I think a lot of people forget that you also need to be a podiatrist you need to be able to treat, you need to be able to diagnose, you need to be able to look after people as well. And it is extremely hard trying to learn that side of stuff and learn the business side of stuff at the same time. And that's often where, you know, people lose that ability to be both at the same time. Mm. I, I guess I can, we, we're sort of in similar similar boats in, in, in a lot of ways where, you know, me starting up my, my own business as, as well and sort of reaching that point biding time getting confidence uh, some of it was getting confidence in the business stuff to be able to go out yeah. Um, but yeah once once you start a lot every, of late nights <laughs> yeah well every minute just gets like eaten up by like oh call this person back oh this has happened oh we got a train reception oh i'm trying to get a phone line fixed and it's like constant calls and emails it, it really does chew up so that's like a very very sort of interesting interesting point that if you do start business early i mean i guess it, it it just depends if that's the the right move that someone wants wants to make with the skill set they have at the time that's right totally. and it comes down to where you see your career you know 
you know, where you envisage yourself, if you're happy just doing routine care and just being more of a general podiatrist, then yeah, absolutely. But I think when you're working in more of a focused, specialised area, it's it's good to try and get as much knowledge about that early before going out into the business side of stuff because you forget how little things can play a part. You know, you get a phone call about the internet going down or phone lines going down or someone's sick and so all of a sudden you've got to start playing around your diary, you've got to start shifting patients and the problem is it's not necessarily you that suffers but it's the patient that suffers, it's the business that suffers and um, it can be difficult trying to build up both at the same time, definitely. Mm. Well, the other thing that you're sort of talking about as well as being in a space where you had you had the time, you had the effort, you had the energy to be able to go out and take advantage of opportunities to go and learn. And I guess that's kind of bringing a bit of reality in is that it is to get to a, a space where you are working with a lot more teams, you're working in, in sport, you're getting the, you know, the experience and the confidence to be able to go into this area, start a private practice with a very narrow, specific focus, you have to have had that time in a way to, to get to that point. Is that something you'd agree with? Absolutely, yeah. And I, I, you know, when people speak to me, we get a lot of new grads coming into the doors to do practice with us. And the way I always sort of describe it is it's like an athlete's career. You know, you start your career as a, as a new recruit, you've got to buy your time, you've got to learn how to be, let's say, an AFL player. You've got to learn the systems. You've got to learn, you know, this, the the skills of being an AFL player, and then you develop that over multiple years. But the reality is, for a lot of professional athletes, they don't hit the peak of their career until six, seven, eight years into it, into it starting. Um, and so that's how I often describe, you know, any. I think any sort of professional workplace, it takes time to build that skill set up and eventually be able to get to a, to an area where you're 100% confident in what you're doing all the time. It's almost like you had sort of, because you knew where you wanted to go or at least had an idea of, of having a business, having somewhere to go. Yeah. You you had that from that from that start that you were investing for that future because that's a very business-based sort of focused way of looking at it. We're no longer looking at ourselves as... PAYG employees that everything we do we get paid and we get come back it's you make investments you you do something now so you know three four five six years time it pays off and that's not that's not all the way always the way way that we think and always encouraged because we're always sort of talking about I spend this time I get this money back but it's, it's sort of a, sh- a good shift yeah that's right and I mean look some of the patients I saw from six, seven, eight years ago, I'm not, I might not necessarily still see that patient, but it's their family members, it's their friends, it's their extended network that they refer to me as well. So it's all those little things that have a big part to play. Like my number is pretty open for a lot of my patients and some of my emails. So I'll get text messages, emails at all times of the day about all sorts of questions. And just having that, for me, having that space to be available for people has allowed my network just to exponentially grow over the years and so yeah definitely now starting to reap the rewards of that you know you know you see some footy boys from three four five years ago they've retired but their kids or their their family members they're referring to you as well because they remember the little things that you do to go out the way for them whether it be to pop down to the club or to see them after hours or you know even just squeezing them into appointments that might not necessarily be available all the time um so yeah it was always for me you know looking back i didn't necessarily think about 
the focus wasn't about just getting into the business side of stuff, but just building my network and just being available. And that's how I've always prided myself on being a podiatrist, just being available for my patients um, when they need me. Because, you know, especially when you look at pain and you look at injuries, a lot of people are going through a new injury. A lot of people are going through pain. And sometimes you see someone, they, they don't necessarily get it. They just see you as, let's get you in, let's get you better and kick you out the door. Um, whereas I guess for me, I look at it more as pain is very, very subjective. So if you need me, give me an email, give me a call, we'll talk about it outside of ours and then grow from there. Mm. It's, it's interesting because we, we, I guess we were talking before we started about relationships and you know the other podcast I have um, is with uh, a, um, a Komi psychotherapy trained physiotherapist and her whole approach is based around focusing on the relationship that you develop because she deals with more complex clients and more more people with significant histories often lots of trauma uh, neurodiversity and it's and it is almost like the focus is on the relationship but and you sort of we can think about that as being sort of over there that's for the complex people but it's kind of almost exactly what you've done and how you've built a reputation is focusing on the relationship and having something that's not feeling because very transactional because that's almost kind of what you're hinting at right with appointments where it's like come in out in out it's like it's very transactional I, I you have this time with me that's what you're paying me for and then yeah off you go that's right and yeah that's the thing i'm i'm more than happy to if i run five ten minutes late with someone i run five ten minutes late but i say to them you know and i think i haven't got kids i haven't got i haven't got a family myself but you talk to parents you talk to you know, some mums and dads who've got three, four kids and you're trying to talk to them about their kids' pain or about their pain and their processing time in that appointment is very, very minimal. And so you're always aware that, you know, what you say to them in that appointment, they don't necessarily take away with them half an hour later. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why, you know, I always say to them, flick me an email or, you know, give me a call if you've got any questions or whatever it might be or come in at a time that suits you and we'll actually sit down and discuss everything in depth. Um, so yeah, I've never, I guess, yeah, in a way, I've never really looked at it as a transactional. I've, I've reaped the benefits of that definitely now in terms of the financial side of stuff. But at, initially, I never look at it as a patient as a as a financial object. It's just being <laughs> and looking after that person in front of you as much as you can. Yeah. I guess sort of, because we've, we've got that sort of business side, and I think that's a, it's a, a really good sort of acumen for where you wanted to go it's not saying right or wrong it's not saying it's the only way to do it or the best way to do it but for, for what you're you're doing because of many business circumstances where i can see that um and the type of patients where if you're giving away that time it might not always come back i guess i'm thinking you know going and focusing on how you got to a position with gymnastics focusing with the position how you got with sports teams um uh, like the demons um the that's the Western Australian Football League demons. I'm guessing not yeah. the Melbourne. Uh, I wish <laughs> <laughs> would be a, it would be a wild thing for them to send all their players out to Perth. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, but it's it's sort of how how you gone to that position. And I guess part of what I'm thinking about is is how we've we've talked about previously that you've been in a different situation working with physios and doing doing things differently than than most. Yes, right. So, you know, when I first started my career, I did work under a podiatrist for three or four months. 
But after that, I ended up just working under physios for the rest of my career. So for the last seven, eight years, I've pretty much always exclusively worked alongside a big group of physios. And I've learnt most of the trade from a physio perspective as well. So I guess that's where my interest in sports, my interest in sports teams started to pick up. Because I was seeing all these physios, you know, going out and treating all these athletes, spending time with sports teams, traveling with them. And it's always funny because you talk to a physio and then some physios are very, very confident with foot and ankle, but the majority of them sort of wing it a little bit as well. So I was looking and going, well, hang on, I'm, I know foot and ankle. That is my bread and butter. I know everything there is to about foot and ankle. I know the injuries. I know the processes. I know, you know, how this should be treated. And so over the years, I was like, well, why can't I do that? Why can't I go to a sports team and, and treat their injuries? And, you know, being a pod, you do get to see a lot of knee pain. You start to see a lot of hip pain, especially with some of the athletic population that we treat. Um, so probably about three or four years ago, I started to diversify myself into a lot more knee injuries and how that occurs and how they are rehabbed and the biomechanical side of stuff. So I learned a lot more from sports medicine in terms of the biomechanics of the lower limb, um, which all just helped me when I did approach a sports team to go, hang on, I can treat foot and ankle, but if you need to, I can also treat a hip, I can treat a knee, I can treat any sort of soft tissue injury in between. Um, so yeah, over the years, I decided to make a big push for for the sports teams. And going back to what I said before, because I'm so available, because I make time for people, the sports teams love the fact that I can just come down. They don't have to worry about paying me. They don't have to worry about you know trying to lock me into a time. I can pop in and out as I need to. I can see their boys. I can take some tape down just to have a chat to the coach, have a chat to the player, um, and come with an action plan for them. And then from there, if they want to book into clinic, they can come into clinic. Um, which has worked really well for gymnastics for us. So obviously gymnastics being a predominantly younger population, being able to go down to a club, speak to a coach, speak to their parents, speak to the athlete, has formed this little nook and this little um, hub around the athlete. So any niggles, any injuries, anything they go through, they can contact all of us at any given time. Um, so it's been, it's been an interesting area of being a podiatrist in that field. You know, and it, you do get a little bit of knockback initially. You know, people go, oh, you're a podiatrist, all you do is orthotics, or all you do is, you know, corns and calluses and ingrowns. But once I actually spent more time there and I, I reported back to the coaches and the athletes, they started to see why I might also be a slightly better option or, or an alternative to having a physio there. Mm. It's almost like, yeah, because we... We have really different business models. So I, I work with, with physios too, and it's 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 interesting from both a practitioner perspective, those working with sports teams, and then also just seeing their like their business models and their marketing and their everything they got behind it. It's vastly different, not better, just different. And I guess what you're highlighting is that to get these opportunities like physio has adapted and, and has these different ways of working and thinking and investing in sports teams and time and going out and visiting them and they're looking at as the investment for essentially future opportunities looking as an investment for being able to have uh, the reputation of being someone who treats athletes so you're picking up you're using that as your marketing so rather than spending marketing dollars your your marketing dollars is 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 much more locked in and and i'm guessing as well there's some advertising benefits as well if you guys say well look we're available you know pretty much almost 24 7 in a way 
to help you guys out? Can you guys help us out with things yeah. that are free for them with the marketing? It sort of it just opens up those opportunities because there's so many podiatrists out there who leave uni that go, I want to work in a sports team or I want to work with athletes. I want to learn how to do all this. And they're almost relying on going into businesses that have established contracts or ideas and it's sort of um, an accidental gatekeeping in, in that way because it's like, well, I'm not ready or I'm not good enough or I'm not, I shouldn't be doing that when really what you're saying is if there's a local club that you could help out, I mean, there's your ground to go and talk to someone, learn, learn about the business, learn about the business of sport and how it all works and, and get your get your experience that way, get athletes and then sort of start to build. That's all right. Because to be fair, you look at a lot of sports clubs and I think the perception is that sports clubs have other ones that go out and source those people for the club. But the reality is most clubs are very, very busy looking after the club. You know, most of them are a volunteer basis. So the board and the, the president, whoever it is, is just so busy trying to keep the club running and keep the players happy that all those external services are not often thought about. So, you know, going out and introducing yourself, offering to spend a little bit of time there, it just opens up those little doors here and there to then, for them to then approach you and say, hey, look, why don't you come on board on a more permanent basis or why don't we have you as part of the club in a more official basis? Um, see, I think from a podiatry perspective, especially if you get, I think especially if you get stuck working for a podiatry clinic as well, a lot of pod clinics don't necessarily have those, those relationships with the sports clubs already in place. And the reality is for business owners, obviously you know this as well, as a business owner, you're so busy looking after staff, you're so busy looking after the clinic and keeping that afloat. You know, if if you want a sports team, that's the lowest of our priorities. So being able to being able to come up with that confidence yourself, being able to have the plan yourself to approach a sports team, um, is probably the best way to go as a podiatrist looking for looking to to progress into the sporting field. Um, and don't be afraid, you will get a few knockbacks here and there. You know, you'll have people that won't email you back or won't get back to you for a couple of weeks. Don't worry about it. Flick another email through, just, you know, it's that second, third point of contact. Just a, And again, it just shows that you're available and you want that position. Mm. It's, it's recognizing that you've got, yeah, and the, the sport really is, is like, it is sort of held together, especially at, at lower levels. It's held together with duct tape. Yeah. And expecting expecting people to sort of email you back or be sitting in an office and, and that sort of thing, being like, oh, great, yes, you know, we're going to think about this. It's 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 putting out fires left, right and centre and trying to keep the whole train moving. And I guess you've just got to be ready in, in, to, to finish that analogy. You've got to be ready to sort of run alongside and jump on and make yeah, things exactly. easy. Yeah. Obviously, as you progress, as you start to build into the more semi-professional and professional teams, processes do get a little bit easier but at the same time a professional sports team has so many staff members that all those external services again sort of still get forgotten about mm-hmm. um so yeah i think just being aware that we can't expect things to to be given to you as well as a new grad if you want those positions you know when you're at uni try and make some contacts early on it's always good to get do a level one level two sports trainer because again, physios have the stranglehold on those sports trainer positions as well. Whereas there's no reason for a podiatrist not to be able to to deal with those sort of niggles, to be able to deal with concussions as well. It's not in your field as a podiatrist, but it's in your field as a sports trainer to be able to work on those sort of injuries as well um, and gain that experience, gain the opportunity to go along a sport, along the side of sports team. 
Um, and so that's what we're trying to push here. So for me especially, we're trying to encourage our podiatry students to do their level one and level two sports trainer courses so that they have an opportunity to then come to gymnastics WA events and deal with injuries and see what it's like being in a professional environment as well. Mm. It's it's interesting, yeah, because you can sort of see that as a as an in because having been in, in rugby, like there's always need for sports trainers. And some of them are paid positions as well, which is nice. Yeah. But there's always right. need for someone and if you roll up as someone who's not you know, uh, a volunteer to the club or like someone who's just sort of um, not having much medical experience and is sort of doing the course to sort of help out. It's not to, to sort of knock them back, but, you know, you do get, uh, a, there's a bonus on top of, of getting someone like that to come in who has a bit more knowledge, has a bit more experience, who can sort of fit in a bit more, um, you know, rather than potentially always like Bob, who's who's got some, maybe some interesting ideas about how injuries heal um yeah because <laughs> yes look at the, the sports level one courses and the jobs available and a, a lot of them target the physios the chiros the exercise physiologists the sports science students but at the same time there's no reason why podiatry can't be included in that we learn so much about biomechanics we learn so much about anatomy like i said we are technically the foot and ankle experts so there's no reason why we can't start changing that perception early on in young grads' careers, whether it's first, second, third year podiatry, and start going out and doing the sports level one courses, because that's how you start to build your network of contacts as well. You meet the coaches, you meet the players, you start to form a bond with them over two, three seasons. And when you graduate, the person that they'll think of as their podiatrist will be you off the bat. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it, for me, a lot of it has been looking at how the physios have operated for the last nine years of my career and going, well, why can't I do that as well? There's no reason why I can't treat a foot and ankle for an athlete. Um, and what you sort of realise as well is that when it comes to sports clubs, the physios are really good at dealing with the injury when it happens, but the biomechanical side of stuff is where it breaks down. So the repeat injuries, the repeat ankle sprains, the repeat hamstring injuries. Um, and so that's where my role is changing a little bit because I get to work a bit more on the biomechanics of the athlete. You know, we get to look at them run, we get to change their running form, we get to change their boots, we get to change, you know, the, the strength program for them and integrate a bit more foot and ankle specific, specific stuff, which is, again, where my area of expertise is. It's interesting because, yeah, when you, and I think, you know, I think it's Joe, Joe Morton on Instagram has just been sort of pushing this point um, a lot in his, his sort of stuff is where like physios generally focus on movements they don't focus on forces yeah and forces are a key component of what influences movement but also what will influence an injury something can look the same and be really different force wise which is going to affect the injury and, and i guess that sort of is a is a skill set or really just a background that that we have and it it very much leads into this idea of, of transdisciplinary care is this something you've when I say transdisciplinary care, is that something that, that uh, a term that you recognise or know much about? No, not really, no. Well, because it's, it's funny because you're kind of doing it. Um, <laughs> so, well, and, and I think this is like a key, a key thing, which is what we're sort of identifying in pretty much any, any one person is that you don't have a skill, like you can have a basis and a training in a skill set, but ultimately you're developing the skills that are required for where you want to end up, for what you want to do, 
Um, so you're getting your sports trainer, you're learning about things that can help with the club or you're learning about things that, that are outside of your, your first scope so you can be more uh, of a rounded individual yeah, uh, and, and benefit the club. And that's ultimately, you know, clubs and athletes hate someone who's just like just doing a tiny little piece. Yeah. And what transdisciplinary care is, is is an idea compared to multidisciplinary, multidisciplinary being you're doing that, you're going to each individual person and each individual person has a skill set and you specifically take a bit of that, you take a bit of this, but ultimately you're kind of working amongst three, four, five people, each with their own little bit and there's not a lot of crossover. Yeah. Whereas transdisciplinary care is sort of saying, if you think of a Venn diagram, multidisciplinary is everyone's separate. Uh, but in, in uh, transdisciplinary care, everyone is kind of sharing part of it and there's common yeah. skill sets between individuals. So, you know, if someone comes to see you with an ankle injury, potentially the physio would also have similar skill sets to do that and there's shared sort of knowledge in between. Yeah, that's but right. You've, you've got these two different backgrounds which while you might be doing the same Claire might also influence your thought process your yeah. the way that you treat it maybe you offer different skills or different things but ultimately someone will can still get similar services from you and a lot and I think a lot of people see it as threatening we, we it's been a lot more in like social work and in mental health care where we see like OTs work yeah. alongside psychologists and they have really similar skill sets where you'll off and social work where they'll be working with the same people with using psychological techniques but you have someone there who's trained in psychopathology you have someone there who's trained in how or you know people from a social perspective or from an yeah. occupational perspective of or like how do you get them back to life and you've got these few points that kind of change and i guess that's that's exactly what you're you're doing your physios are doing everyone's doing is going we can yeah, just do right. it yeah because i've you know, the good thing for me is over the years, I've surrounded myself with a really, really, really good basis of physios, podiatrists, chiros, doctors, sports dogs, who all recognize, you know, I'm more than happy for them to treat lower limb injuries. That's not a problem for me. I'll educate them. They educate me. We're constantly bouncing ideas off each other. But they also really are good at recognizing my specific skill set, which is a lot of the biomechanical side of stuff. Or if they get one that they just can't quite get on top of or they're having repeat injuries, that's when they can go, hang on, Angelo actually, you know, might know a bit more than I would. Let's send him off. Um, so yeah, building up a, a network of people that I can trust, building up a network of, of, or I guess myself being able to be trusted by other health practitioners as well, has been super important for me. I've tried not to, try not to bad mouth or talk anyone down too much in my career. It does happen occasionally when you get the <laughs> Um, but yeah, just trying to surround myself by people who we can all recognize our specific skill sets, we can all recognize what we're better at, and sharing that patient around to see who can get the best possible outcome for that patient. And I guess to be fair, the people that I'm referring to are people in similar positions to me where they're not necessarily business-minded or looking at that person as a financial measure. It's just, we've got a person in front of us, we need to get them better, we need to get them active, we need to get them moving. Who is the best person to, to see for that? It's interesting because we're sort of having this discussion in the wake of the controversy with physios and exercise physiologists over, over ownership of who, who owns what and what happens. And I think um, we, we see that in podiatry as well, where people are like, we own the foot and ankle or we should own footwear or we should own orthotics and that's and that's 
that should be exclusive to us. And I, I don't disagree that as a basis of our training, we have potentially more ingrained skill sets that would help us do better. Um, you know, if you just took a standard physio, standard podiatrist, there's probably going to be, um, with some of those skill sets, the podiatrist coming out on top. But a key sort of part of, you know, what you're saying is your success is going, well, I'm not owning it. I'm working as a team with people. We're recognizing strengths and we're, we're moving kind of beyond, and this is transdisciplinary, we're moving beyond just me as a podiatrist with the title podiatrist to me as a person with a set of skill sets. I've got my license that treats. And, and ultimately, it's, it's kind of very funny if you look at the registration the ARPA documents and they say, you know, what can we do? What's your scope of practice? And there's caveats in there for if you are trained to a competent standard, you can do treatments. Yeah. And there's a lot of gray area about what's competent. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's recognizing the fact that, you know, we will have this license that will give us these skills, but we can learn more, do more and be able to offer more. And in the same way, other people can do the same thing. And we, we look at us as this person is an individual podiatrist with an individual skill set with an individual experience that we consult with rather than saying I'm off to see uh, well we recognize this like when we've, well, I'm off to see an orthopedic surgeon you kind of go well I'm not seeing any orthopedic surgeon I want to see the orthopedic surgeon that does the specific injuries that I do that does the surgery that I want that I'm potentially looking at has the reputation yeah. that I value works with people that I know that have had good experiences yeah, it's sort yeah. of it, that's, it just seems like it's it's the much better way of going about it. Absolutely, and for me, I'm more than happy to sit down and educate people as well about foot and ankle. And I'm still learning a lot more about a lot of different things in the lower limb as well. You know, I'm dealing a lot more hip pain, but I'm still learning about hip pain and hip injuries and how they present and how they work biomechanically. But when it comes to foot and ankle stuff, if we do get a referral from a physio or, podi or another podiatrist, whoever it is, we'll always, I'll always write a letter back to them and I'll educate them as to how it's gone on. And I think that's where some of my success has been on social media as well, because people have seen some of the stuff I'm doing and they want to learn how to do it as well. They want to learn how to have an athlete come in and how to look after them from the start to the end, rather than having to rely on the physio as well. Um, so it has been really fascinating for me being able to do that sort of stuff. So, you know, you get the odd one. I had one recently that was a really nasty syndesmosis injury. Um, but the problem is the physio who was treating it had missed the syndesmosis. And so he was trying to rehab and trying to push this patient past what they were capable of. Mm -hmm. so the patient came to see me and we sort of broke it all down, booted her, and two weeks later the pain had settled down. But it was just, it was just recognizing the injury he was a new grad, look, to be fair, he was a new physio. So I called him and I said, look, this is, the, this is what's going on. This is what I've picked up in the assessment. Um, and there, there's, you know, some people push back and they go, oh, well, you shouldn't be doing that. Don't call me again. But you get the odd one that actually wants to sit down and go, all right, how do I recognize this next time? You know, if I have this present again, what's, or what's, what's the signs? What sort of history should I be asking? Um, so, yeah, just trying to educate people as much as I possibly can do as well about what I'm good at. It's funny because I remember I'm, I read something the other day and it was essentially being share your secrets. Don't hold them. And I think that's kind of the natural tendency, right? I have these secrets. I've worked hard for them. Don't share them. People have to, it's locked behind a paywall or you have to come and see me to get them and have to be paid. But what this is saying is, is screw that. 
we talked about um, restaurants. How many restaurants have put out a, a recipe book? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, but do the recipe, if anything, it makes their restaurant more popular, even though That's you right. can make it at home. They'll always keep that one secret ingredient hidden. That's all they need. <laughs> <laughs> so you always just keep a tiny, tiny, tiny little bit of the process. Um, but end of the day, there's enough patience to go around in Australia for every practitioner. So for me, there's no point holding on to someone just for the sake of it. Um, if if someone else is just as competent as I am, and look, you know, I don't know what's going to happen to my career tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen to my career in a year's time. You might have an injury. You might end up going on holiday. Things change very quickly. So while I've got the capacity to and while I can, I want to educate. I want to teach. I want to share what I've got as much as I possibly can do um to to i guess progress not just podiatry but healthcare as much as i can as well mm. and it's it and it just goes back to i mean so much of, of everything is that it keeps going back to is just relationships every, every if we're just thinking and shifting that that focus from me to you know in as an individual to how do you talk to people build relationships and you sort of everything comes as like an investment you're not going to get that one-to-one if this is where you want to go and this, this is what you want to do. It just seems like, yeah, everything just keeps coming back to that. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, I guess the crux of it is that's how I've always just based my career on is forming relationships, maintaining relationships, you know, talking to people on a regular basis, trying to bag bad mouth too many people at one time. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's fair. Sometimes you, you resist the temptation. It's tough sometimes. <laughs> well, it's so hard because sometimes you know you see you know you see someone and they just tell you a very different story than what they've told any everyone else. So there is there is a little bit of humility to be like, hold on a second. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I guess if if we change gears a little bit, I, I kind of want to draw um, or ask you some questions and draw out some of your knowledge on or experience really with um, working with gymnastics and, and dancers specifically because we, we do have you know some people that work in, in dance uh, in podiatry but it's sort of it's it's not something that I see a lot spoken about it's not something that I see a lot of focus on and I'm interested because you're sort of going between two very different worlds uh, people that wear shoes all the time that wear boots you're going to think about orthotics you can think about studs you're going to think about all that sort of stuff they move there and then you're looking at dancers and people who will not wear shoes yeah. and gymnasts I guess to, to start off with what has what had to change or what is what, what do you notice is changing with your thinking or it, maybe it hasn't changed uh, having those experiences and thinking about traditional things that we're taught in podiatry why we're traditionally taught to, to approach patients yeah it was funny because I was actually thinking about this the other day when I was talking to another podiatrist I think my whole career I didn't really realise this, but my whole career was sort of gearing towards going towards the barefoot sports to begin with. Because from the get-go, I was never much of an orthotic person to begin with. Because for me, coming from a sports background, coming from a semi-professional sporting background, it was always, how can we get you stronger? How can we get you fitter? How can we get you on top of your injuries? Um, And so for me, for most of my career, I haven't really been focusing on the orthotic side of stuff that's always been the very 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 last treatment option for me you know you get the odd one here and there that does need a pair of orthotics but for me when usually when I get people coming through the door it's what's the injury what's in play what's biomechanically deficient and how can we deal with those injuries to make you stronger and get on top of your pain 
Um, and so over the years, I started to move into more ballet, started to move into more the dance, more into gymnastics, and I was realizing I don't need to put orthotics into these people at all. I can just keep working the same way I work. You know, you get the flexor hallucis tendinopathies, you get Achilles tendinopathies, a lot of post-tib irritations. Let's get them stronger. Let's get them more functional from foot and ankle. And obviously a lot of these are kids. So these are kids ranging between nine to 15, 16 years of age. So they're still developing, they're still growing, they're still, um, I guess, developing as well. So how can we speed that up? How can we integrate some strength and conditioning into their programming to make them a better athlete? Um, so t to be fair, I haven't really changed the way I thought too much. I think it's just always been heading down this direction. I just didn't realize it until the last 12 months. <laughs> um, Would you say though, it's, it's part of it is, you know, you have that viewpoint, not because that's the one truth about foot orthotics and things, but it's more of what the skills you've had and the patients there, therefore that you attract that may so that orthotics are maybe a much more last consideration. That's right, yeah, because yeah, you do a fair bit of chronic pain as well. You see a lot of rheumatoid, you see some of the middle-aged people that have some plantar fascia conditions that just don't want to do their rehab. And so they're the ones that you sort of go, right, footwear, orthotics, let's incorporate some strength stuff here and there. Um, but yeah, I think I've always just attracted that clientele that actually wants to improve on their performance, that wants to get stronger, that wants to um, learn more about how to use their foot and ankle in their sport as well. Um, so yeah, in a, in a way I have attracted those sort of clients and I don't think I'll do too well just going back to more chronic pain side of stuff anymore because my basis as a practitioner is to try and get people fitter, stronger, more developed and get on top of their injuries through exercise more than anything else. So even going to footwear, I used to be a big person to adjust footwear off the bat. You know, it's something that you used to do all the time. You got a pair of crappy sketches, let's get rid of them, let's get into some proper shoes. Whereas now in the last couple of years, I've gone away from looking at the footwear as much, focused more on the biomechanics and then using that footwear as a last option if we need to make any adjustments to it as well. Sacrilege. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think I think it's something that I wanted to draw out because not because we've specifically ch chatted about that, but because it's something that sort of I thought you'd have some interesting thoughts on because I guess, you know, thinking about what you're saying where it's like, you know, people that want to do their rehab, people that want to get better. I mean, there's I would always push back and say there are always times where orthotics going to be the really the best option, where footwear is going to be a really good option, where you know Absolutely. holding these things back on this idea that you need to exercise rehab, like it doesn't it doesn't sit well with me ethically to be able to say no. And I guess that's that's the sort of that the, there's the line that, that we're sort of drawing though with yourself, where you're going, I am working with these people. I have a business model that's set up of about my interests, yeah. about you know what what you know i say my but what you would want to be um doing what you want to who you want to be seeing how you want to be practicing and it's sort of developing in in, in that in that direction rather than um yeah having to really trying to jam you know treatments and things and i guess this is about sport as well jamming the treatments that you traditionally believe in because of the background as podiatrist footwear and orthotics into a field that doesn't that's can't right. use them doesn't doesn't wear them 
Yeah, exactly. And look, for, for our young gymnasts, we do, we do still pay attention to footwear because they're at school seven, eight hours a day. They then come and do a barefoot sport. So we do pay a little bit of attention to footwear in those sort of cases because they do suffer from a lot of overuse injuries in their foot and ankle. Uh, we've got a couple of list frank injuries that we're dealing with at the moment. We get a couple of accessory naviculars, accessory um, ostrigonums. So they're the ones that we really look after their foot and ankle strength inside the gymnastic space. But at school, we've got to still go through the usual protocols to look after that foot, look after the ankle, look after the injury. So to be fair, I'm not, I still do some sort of foot and orthotic therapy for them, but it's not the crux of the treatment. The crux of the treatment is the, the, the mm. strength side of stuff more so. Um, and I think a lot of it comes down to who you've got in front of you. You know, you sort of, after a couple of years and after seeing however many patients you see, generally by the time you've spoken to that patient in the first 10, 15 minutes of the consult, you sort of know already what sort of position you're going to take with them. You get some that come in that might not necessarily be exercising, they don't want to exercise, they just got some pain that they want to get rid of. So you go, well, there's no point in me giving you exercises because you're going to come back in a week's time and tell me you've done nothing and you'll still be in pain and you're going to go somewhere else. So those sort of people you sort of recognise in that initial consultation, you have a chat to them about their history, about their goals, you know, what they want to achieve, what they what they hope to get out of your consult, and that is what sort of forms your, your form of treating. So there's definitely still cases where, you know, it's footwear and orthotics is the main form of treatment. I'll chuck in some strength stuff and I'll educate them about the strength stuff. If they do it, awesome. You know, they'll usually come back and because we've got the gym, they'll come back and say, oh, look, I've actually enjoy these exercises, what more can you give me? So we'll progress it, we'll start to get into some weighted exercises and two, three months down the track, all of a sudden they want to start working out. So you can still change the mindset of people by presenting them all the options available to them. Um, it doesn't always happen, but yeah. <laughs> well, I guess that, that, that kind of is, is, is a point, right, where we have this focus in, in in medical and this is the way that like our evidence works and, I, and I'm a broken record about a lot of this sort of stuff so I won't go into it but with this idea of identifying like one truth what is the the absolute truth and I think you know when you're coming out as a new grad and you're trying to learn a lot more and you're trying to do you know expand your knowledge a lot of the focus is on and you know what is the right answer what is the, the correct thing to do and I guess what I like about having these types of discussions is we're bringing in the idea of nuance and we're also by bringing in that there's many different truths for each individual and you're exactly able to acknowledge that and you go, this is what I do, this is my skill set, this is where I am uh, and this is the types of patients I'm going to see and in a way you've evolved over time with the patients that you see and what you do. It's been sustainable in terms of the the constant direction so it's also not a way of you going from one to the other which is kind of when we're presented with two opinions you're presented with one against the other and we're sort of not seeing again it was also like like with our patients we're not seeing the context behind that yeah. some patients come in i'm not going to have an orthotic i don't want to change my shoes we're not we we just see that position versus our position of truth of war but i see they help a lot and we sort of clash rather than seeing the, the, the nuance, the context, the experience. That's right. I think, I think the hard part is everything we learn is heavily evidence-driven, but when you actually start working as a practitioner, you've got to realise that people are coming to see you because they're in pain, and pain is such a subjective thing that evidence doesn't necessarily take into account the social aspects, the, the psychosocial aspects of patients. 
And so that's where you've got to sort of recognize that there's lots of different modalities available. It's just picking and choosing which ones are the right ones at the right time for that patient. You know, initially they might respond really well to that footwear, to the orthotic side of stuff, but eventually, you know, you might develop a new injury, you might develop a new niggle. What do you do? Do you keep adapting the foot and the orthotic side of stuff? Or do you go, well, there might actually be another component to this. So let's now try a little bit of this. Let's try some strength stuff and see how we go. Um, and, you know, taking into account people's social life, people's family life. I think that's where, for me, the evidence doesn't take into account that aspect of a patient. Mm. And, I, and I guess, I, I guess I would push back on that just a little bit, not because I disagree, but in a way of saying, you know, we're characterizing evidence as, you know, not covering it. I think it's just the, what we've prioritized in evidence. That's there right. are experience-based yeah. measures. There are qualitative study measures. We do have some really good, limited but really good qualitative um, studies. I think I can think of one in the Achilles. We've already got a whole bunch of heap in, in chronic pain. Um, yeah. But I remember the one in the Achilles being like, this hurts and this is limiting and it's frustrating. We just I just went to SMA and we're talking about the subjective experience of ankle osteoarthritis, especially post-traumatic ankle osteoarthritis. Yeah. Yeah, right. And all these people are like frustrated as all hell that like that was the thing that kept coming up people are frustrated they can't do what they want people are frustrated because they're struggling people are frustrated because their stiffness is stopping them yeah and it it was never it's like it's never about the the pain per se and reducing the 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 pain or it might be for some individuals but it just ironically kept coming up in that evidence because that's what they they focused on and then we're like oh maybe we need to focus on how we increase function and that was like the whole outcome of the the set of studies was yeah, we right. can give them exercises yeah that's fascinating i didn't know that that's awesome that's really good to know i'll have to look into that one um <laughs> but yeah i guess that's again where you look at go well if you if stiffness is the main concern for you soft tissue you know you mobilize it do some soft tissue work do some dry needling surely evidence doesn't necessarily say that and that's why there's some people on instagram that do my head in when they say that soft tissue means nothing um but end of the day, anything can help a patient with pain, with with what they want to achieve. I I think it comes down to when a patient comes into your rooms, also not just focusing on what they're presenting with, but what their outcome is, what they expect to achieve from mm. from treatment. You know, some people might just purely be the pain aspect of an injury, but for some people it might be, hey, this has been limiting my running for two years three years i actually wouldn't mind being able to go for a jog or go for a run and so we're going to then adapt your treatment protocol and your management plan around that aspect as well well yeah well that's and that's the other side like we don't see the context uh taken into account in in a lot of a lot of studies in the sense that if you've got an athlete who you're there and you can do something for them in five ten minutes it's not in a consult um, so they're also in a way not, not paying for it. And I guess that, that leads to the second point, which is looking at what's most cost effective. So it's, it's making a value judgment on the basis of the patient. We go, well, you know, I remember one study, you know, for Achilles tendinopathy, 10 massages is equal to one education session about exercise. Yeah. Well, someone might want 10 massages. Yeah, exactly. They are equivalent. Yeah, that's right. You do get those people that... <laughs> You've, they've come in, you've given them exercises, you've given them you know, a little bit of release, and they come back and they go, I just want a massage for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> I'm yeah. just going to put 
yourself in. I'll get a few ladies, like especially a lot of my housewives in particular, they tend to have a lot of plantar fascia and flexor hallucis type injuries and overuse pains. And they literally come this time of the year when they start to go more barefoot around the house. They'll book in twice a week for three, four weeks, get it all released, come in for a chat, and that's it. That's all they want. They don't care about doing any sort of exercise at home because, to be fair, they've got two, three, four kids to look after as well. So for them, this is just a little a little break for them. They get to come in and have a chat and chat shit for half an hour with me. <laughs> I guess so much of it is about how you're selling it, what you're doing, like for the person overall you're not selling them on some bullshit model about fascial trains and you know a bunch of other stuff you're just going we're just we're massaging and making it feel better and there might be more work to do but they're actively making a choice and they're being autonomous that's right yeah and as long as you present them all the options available to them you know we always tell them that we can do some exercise at home we can do some footwear or some some sandal modifications if they choose to go down one path then there's no point trying to turn their mind. You know, they're more than happy to come in and, and see you every every couple of weeks for a massage, then that's fine for me. Mm, but they're informed. <laughs> they're informed, that's right, yeah. They're aware of what else they can do. They're aware that we have got the option to give them some exercises. You know, They're aware that we can go through some sandals they can wear at home. If they don't want to, I'm not gonna force them to do it. Um, but it's something that I will remind them of you know, each time they come in, just making sure that they are aware. Because again, you go, people come in, they come in for the consult. As soon as they walk out the door, they've forgotten half the stuff you're talking about as well. Mm. So just be able to reiterate that each time and just say, look, there's more stuff we can do. If you don't want to do it, that's fine. <laughs> but it's also having that relationship there, those points in time where you can sit there and someone comes back and they might have changed their mind. They might have gotten fed up. Something else could have shifted in their life. And they're like, I'm ready now that's to t- discuss this. Yeah. Why it's so good that you've mentioned it. Yeah, that's right. And I guess that's where, for me, especially with the chronic pain side of stuff, because like I said, you get some patients that, you know, you're aware that they're not, they're not exercising. They've got a really, really nasty plantar fascia pain or Achilles pain. You know, the footwear and the orthotics is probably the best solution for them. I'll still start them with some very, very, very basic exercises they can do. But just being able to, over time, formulate that idea in their head that, hey, look, there's actually more I can do. And this isn't just a band-aid for my pain. I can actually get on top of my pain and, and improve my quality of life as well. Um, and that's how you can sort of convert those patients into a exercise program or a strength program. Or, you know, they might come back and go, oh, I've actually been dealing with some back pain. I've been dealing with some hip pain over the years. What more can I do for this? And you go, all right, physio, done. There's a concept with a physio. And all of a sudden, obviously physio is very, very exercise driven. So they start to have a few little exercises, a few stretches for that. They get on top of that pain. And just being able to then in your head go, well, hang on, I'm not in pain anymore. I can go for a walk or I can go play with my kids down at the local park or whatever it might be. And just start to change people's mindsets around that that pain barrier to what they might be able to do. And so much of it, I mean, it, uh, I'm thinking about the chat that I had with uh, Nitta. Uh, you know, a couple of podcasts ago about he was talking about exercise and, you know, being advocates for exercising more and building and making change. And we, we sort of don't think of ourselves as that. But that's kind of, I mean, it all just gets melded in, right? Where it's like, well, you know, someone in there, they haven't exercised. They don't have the experience. They haven't thought about it. They aren't doing this sort of stuff. And you're just there finding that opportunity, educating them, providing them opportunities keeping building that relationship and eventually you you could get them in 
and, and do more more and the focus is again is not on them is like we need to get them back for strengthening uh, I've definitely been a part of a business that's like we just got to offer everything and a package and a deal and get people <laughs> but it's like well what do, what do people need at that point in time and some people just need time some people need relationships some people need a place where they can they can come to and then you you, you help them through that's right I think talking to the amount of people I've spoken to and especially especially some of the chronic pain we see a big barrier is People haven't necessarily come from a background of sports or they haven't come from a background of exercise. So they've spent most of their life, you know, participating in school sports as a kid, but as soon as school finishes, that's it. They've never really done much in terms of gym or yoga or Pilates. So when they have the opportunity to come in, or not the opportunity, but they come in to see us with pain, we can start to open up that opportunity for them as well and taking away that sort of embarrassment or the feeling that they, they don't know how to exercise, they don't know how to do things. Um, and just sort of forming a little, a little again, a little community around that person to go, hey, look, let's try this today. Let's go for a walk on the treadmill or let's just try holding a few weights and just see how you feel. Um, so, yeah, it is really, really exciting when you sort of get those patients that have come in just purely for one issue, but then three, four months down the track, they come in and they, they're exercising and they're wanting to go, oh, I actually want to do this now. I want to start training for a half marathon or a marathon or, you know, it's just open up open up opportunities for them being able to get on top of one pain mm. I guess it just I mean it just this is kind of like a really nice encapsulations of so much what we've what we've talked about is relationships it's the business practice it's the and investments it's about um, you know seeing things differently bringing in context seeing that you know you you can help people differently you think about all the skills that you can develop and we're no longer just treating someone with a specific thing it's having a wider skill set a wider knowledge base that you can use to then help that person and that might just be you know providing them with you know on the spot care to develop a relationship and opportunities and and then having also the other skill set to then actually increase their exercise and yeah. get them get them doing something different training them in a way that they haven't been trained before rather than you know right. come in here's your orthotic or come in here's your insert x treatment and here's your you know insert x outcome yeah and that's what you pay for it it's very transactional yeah so and to be fair this actually probably leads back to my whole crux as a sports pod where the the gymnasts and the ballet dancers for example they've never had much of a weight program at all they've done all the body weight stuff all the resistance band work but we've been able to take that and develop more of a, like a footy, soccer, rugby program, get them doing weights, get them stronger, a bit more through weight training. And we've seen the benefits of that. So all of a sudden they're, they're fitter, they're stronger, they're able to do more routines, they're able to do more skills. They can jump higher, they can last you know a longer period of time during a gymnastics event. Um, and then same with the footy boys, we have to incorporate all the foot and ankle specific exercises and all the barefoot stuff we've done with the footy boys They've like I've got a few boys that come in there started doing Pilates. I'm like, cool, like, <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't expect to do. Um, and it's funny because I always I always keep track of I love the, I love the AFL, I love the footy, and you often see some people that have been through some chronic soft tissue injuries that have done gymnastics or they've done some ballet training or they've done some some dance specific stuff, and they've reaped the benefits of it because it's a different type of training for mm. a certain body type. Um, so being able to have that cross cross training between footy between dance has been awesome as well and we've i've sort of seen the benefits of being able to translate both into each other yeah and i think that's i mean we've, we've got the olympic studies 
I think it was I think it was done through through the IOC. But we've got the studies that show early sports specialisation is more Olympians are people that have had more experiences, more exposure to lots of different movement patterns, lots of different types of exercise. Because exactly, they pick up all those different skills. When we when we do strength and conditioning training as a as a as a you know the accreditation pathway for a coach, so much of it is developing um, athlete. Well, it's athletic development, and it's going on. How do we focus on foundational movements? And it's not so much that they need to know how to squat or how to deadlift or how to do any one specific movement for their sport, but it just it's teaching them something about how to move differently, making it consistent training and that then opens up the ability to then go well i can now do weight training or i can now do all of these different things safely which will affect those other movements and it's and it's the same with lots of different other sports whether it's a team sport or individual sports so i think it's it's a really sort of spot on well um well, it's always nice to hear that you you've got to you know you're seeing what we see in evidence in practice and we kind of go oh shit like it does actually relate, especially when we have, like we said, so much of the evidence that just focuses on RCTs, removing nuance and context, and so it, we don't always see it um, yeah. work, but we don't always see it, you know, putting air quotes on, on work, but it's nice when we see that come through. That's right, yeah. So it's been it's been fascinating. It's been really interesting for the last couple of years being able to work in that field and, and be able to actually be involved one-on-one with the athletes as well mm. and for me to see the benefits. Um, it's a lot of out-of-the-box thinking as a podiatrist. It's a lot of how can I adapt this person to achieve what we want to achieve because a lot of it is not just, obviously, we get a few acute injuries still, but once the injury is resolved, how can we make you perform better as an athlete? How can we get you to the next mm. level as an athlete? Because um, for us, we've got you know, we've got young girls that want to get to the Olympics. They want to compete for Australia. They want to go to compete on the world circuit for different World Cups and all that sort of stuff. Um, and so, us as health practitioners can make a big, big difference by being able to introduce little exercises, little strength programs to help them develop along the way, um, and being able to have that. Because a lot of like for gymnastics, for example, a lot of it is based on muscle memory. So you're getting that muscle to remember that exact same movement over a thousand repetitions. But the problem is when an injury occurs, that muscle still works the exact same and it just can't cope with an injury. So being able to adapt that muscle, being able to adapt that joint, being able to teach it different patterns of movement has reaped big, big rewards for us. Mm. And that's, that's exactly it, it's having that focus. You can't just do the same thing that you've always done or that you can't as a business or as a practitioner expect to get different types of referrals lots of athletes and patients doing the same thing that you've always done it's it's adapting around that individual adapting around their goals and and, and developing the experience and the knowledge to actually be a useful person to that to that that patient (laughs) that's absolutely right well this has been a fantastic discussion I've, i've really enjoyed talking and it's 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 um been interesting to hear someone's experience sort of not only map not only with my own um but also just hearing a different side of sort of the, from 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 yeah. your perspective yeah that's right that's been awesome as as, as sort of a as sort of before we end i want to ask if there's anything else that um you think would be worth mentioning about our discussion 
questions that I maybe haven't asked or probably the biggest thing is going to be if someone is listening, especially, you know, I'd say early career podiatrists or even, you know, other, other disciplines, what advice you might give them if, if there's anything else that, you, that we haven't talked about. Don't get disheartened if someone's in a no, basically. So if you want to go and speak to a sports team, you want to speak to a coach or an athlete, you know, it's going to take time. It's going to take time to build your reputation, to build your brand, to build your name in that community. It's just persisting at it. And it sometimes takes a lot of time. You know, for me, I think I'm a very, very friendly person and I just keep talking a lot. So people don't have a chance to say no to me too often. Um, (laughs) I think the biggest thing is just is making yourself available. I think a lot of people forget that it's not just all about money. It's not just about earning as much coin as possible. If you want to work in that field, it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of sacrifice as well. Um, but you do eventually reap the rewards of it and you just start to build up a name for yourself across that community and across the wider community as well. So I think early on, if you want to go out and hit it, go out and talk to people, email people, face-to-face meetings is always the best. Don't be afraid to go and spend some time at a club or you know at a, at a community space um, and spend some time doing some quick assessments, talk to them about their injuries, come up with a quick management plan for them. We've just done it recently with the gymnastics club where we went and spent, I think, four hours on a Saturday between me and the physio and we screened about, it probably been about 40 girls in that time and then went away and actually created some very brief management plans for them. Email that to the coach, email that to the parents. We inform the athlete on the day what they need to do to help improve their injuries or so get rid of their injuries. Um, and we've seen the rewards of that within two, three weeks. We've had some of the parents email back saying, awesome like we didn't expect this type of service let's come in and actually speak to you and all of a sudden you start to see their other daughters or their other sons or the family themselves so yeah i think a lot of it is the biggest thing is as a new grad or a new or a person wanting to go out and do what i'm doing speak to people and and spend time sacrifice a bit of time to to do it mm. brilliant i guess I'd, I'd add to that and so much of what you're talking about just reminds me of the book pink to sell as human because so much of it is just about you know if you're going to be out there you want opportunities you want to be out there it's just being buoyant is what he calls it just being out there weathering all the rejections and just focusing in on again our whole discussion which has been not on trying to sell someone on something but it's just trying to show value this is what i can do this is how i can do it and that's that's the whole the whole system that's right, and work alongside whoever's there. Like I've been able to chance, I've had a chance to work alongside the physios and the sports trainers at the footy club. They've seen the value of me being there. They've seen the value of me being there on game day, actually looking after some of the boys on the boundary as well. And so that's just opened up more opportunities for me for the coming season to spend even more time down there, and you know build an even bigger brand for myself on Instagram as well. So. Um, don't try and kick people out from positions they already hold. Try and work alongside existing <laughs> people and you know, help other practitioners see the value of actually having you on board as part of their team. Because at the end of the day, we're not, we're not here to fight against each other. Physios, podiatrists, chiros, whatever it might be, we've all got the same goal. We want to try and get people better. So there's no point trying to kick people out of a role that you want. Find a way to try and work with them, trying to find a way to work alongside them and build from there brilliant love it well thanks thanks for for joining me so where, where where can people you talk about social media where people find you 
Uh, so I'm Perth Sports Podiatrist on Instagram. Beautiful. And any, any, anywhere else people will follow you or is it just Instagram? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn as well. I think it's just Angelo Velo on LinkedIn. Um, but other than that, that's pretty much all I've got. That's my social <laughs> footprint. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thanks, thanks, for, thanks again for joining me and thanks everyone. Uh, for those who've made it this far in, thanks for, for listening. Uh, I've been Alex Murray. You can find me as well on Instagram, Facebook, X, wherever, as the rehab podiatrist. And, uh, yeah, we'll uh, chat next time.